and hello movie lovers and today i actually have my good friend soda with me we're going to be talking about almost famous and i'm excited to actually do this i've been wanting to do this uh review for a while now for almost famous so without further ado let's go on ahead let's get on with the show And hey, man, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, dude. It's been a while. It has. It has definitely been a while. Lots happened since we last done a show together. Yeah, but what, what was the last show? I don't think it was the Mighty Ducks show. It can't be that long. Yeah, because I mean, uh, I do remember doing uh, reviews for um, Nightmare on Elm Street, but I think yeah. it was before that. No. No, it has to be uh, Nightmare on Elm Street then. Wow, yeah. that's been that long? Okay, that's crazy. It's yeah. a thing that's been that long ago. Yeah, wow. Okay, uh, but yeah, tonight we're actually going to be talking about Almost Famous. This movie came out uh, September 8th of 2000, and it's actually got a box office bomb, believe it or not. And it also has a huge cult uh, following afterwards, but it actually opened up on a $60 million budget, and it ended up only making $47.4 million at the box office, wow. which is surprising. Yeah, considering like how well respect this movie, I, I think it's, res- it's respected. Right? I was expecting it to make more for some reason or another. I thought this was more of a success film and, than anything else. But yeah, I just thought it was more of a success film than it was, was like a cult classic film because I thought it ha- would actually have more legs. Because of the fact that I love rock music and stuff like that. I know people that love this kind of rock um, genre of music from the 70s. So I just thought it would actually uh, basically transform over into the big screen more. Yeah, me too. But anyways, uh, this is actually, I'll just give a little bit of a plot synopsis of it. But yeah, it starts off in San Diego, 1969, with child prodigy William Miller. And he struggles to fit in. But... When you see this thing open up, you see this thing opened up to where it's like Christmas in September with the mother, Elaine, and young William going, uh, and they're talking about how to kill a mockingbird. This is the first movie, like, I I had seen Francis McDormand in Darkman when I was younger, but I didn't know. This was the first movie where I was like, Who's, who is this? Like, that's when I was like, okay, this is a good actress. And then I found out about Fargo and all that stuff. This was this was like my first, like, this is Francis McDormand film. And uh, yeah, she's she's really good in this role she definitely is and to be honest with you i could actually see her the more conservative mother trying to protect her kids and she kind of got on my nerves though too even as an adult as well because i'm like okay maybe i'm watching this from a kid's lenses because of the fact i was like maybe 18 maybe 19 whenever i seen this movie and then watching now as an adult i thought that i would actually be more siding on her because Mm -hmm. i'm an adult now but i'm still seeing her as the same way i did when i was a kid Where I fall on her is I get where she's coming from, but piss off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way she does it just pisses you off. Exactly. Pisses me off. Yeah, it's like when, like when she tells him that he she, he skipped two grades. That that was really that would make me mad. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But you know, it's just him and a uh, just casual conversation between mother and son on the sidewalk talking about how to kill a mockingbird and having this conversation. And then it goes into William growing up with his mother. And also, too, you can see that she's doing a lot of damage. The mother is actually doing a lot of damage to her kids because even the daughter comes in sneaking home an album of Simon and Garfunkel 
And no. she's like, what's and it's like sneaking in a parental advisory sticker, mm. if you think about it, because that's that's what I got from the vibe from. Because I remember getting my first parental advisory sticker that my grandmother bought me, and I'm trying to sneak it into my mom's house. <laughs> I that's one that's that is one thing from this movie that I cannot relate to because when it comes to content growing up, my parents uh, like as long as it didn't get too ridiculous, they there was really no limit. <laughs> You see, like, that was, was weird for me, though, man. That was weird for me, though. I was allowed to see rated R movies. That was fine. Yeah. But music? No. You cannot have that kind yeah. of language. I'm like, okay, that does not make sense. But yeah, yeah. How, like, yeah then how, how the hell did you develop your love for death metal? <laughs> exactly. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, that goes to show you that my mom is basically like Elaine, who's actually kind of on the strict type. Yeah, of level because of how she's trying to protect her kids. She goes, "Look, you see this cover? You see this album cover? Drugs. They smoked weed." I'm like, "Okay, way to go! It's 1969. Of course they smoked weed." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, totally. And yeah, you're right. right. They probably were. But yeah, uh, when uh, I can't wait to start talking about the music. I just can't. the music is just outstanding. I actually downloaded the uh, soundtrack. Uh, I have because I, I the first copy I owned of the bootleg um, was the DVD. It came with a, a copy of the Stillwater EP that I still have. Oh wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool and uh yeah oh yeah and then i found playlists of all the songs that were in the movie and yeah some classic stuff uh his sister looks at william because you're you're lying to him you're and you're like okay what is she talking about she's lying to him yeah and she's even trying to tell him hey look she's lying to you you hate her no i don't i don't hate her and just yes you will you just don't know yet you will hate her mm-hmm. and then he, I like how they go into the school scene next because that's, that's like basically the next day when he's noticing these kids they're over there messing with a the facial hair, shaving, mm-hmm. just having the adolescence of a teenage kid. Yeah, going through puberty. And I know in the bootleg cut, it goes into the part where it's like, "Where's your pubes at?" He goes, "Oh, I shaved them." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you shave your pubes. Yeah, and I thought, okay, I. I've seen this movie over a hundred times whenever it comes down to the theatrical cut. I think it's just because of the fact that I've seen it so many times as a theatrical cut and not as a uh, person who's just been familiar with the bootleg cut. I think that's why the theatrical cut is actually my favorite over Mm -hmm. the bootleg cut. And I just think that the simplicity of him just quit looking at these kids and questioning why am I different from them? What makes me stand, what makes me stand out from them? And then it jumps into the whole car scene with the mother of the confrontation in the car. I think it actually works out a lot better for me when it comes down to the uh, to that scene. Don't get me wrong; there are some moments where yeah. you're like, yeah, I understand why that why they were cut. But like, I mean, I would, as as when it comes to director's cuts, like this is one of the better ones. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't detract from the theatrical cut. It just enhances it, um, right? And like, this is a movie where it's like I'm fine watching whichever version, but I just. You know, if I'm going to sit down and watch it on my own, it's going to be the bootleg. Right, and that's what I wanted to know was like, what what about this scene for you though, from someone that's saying the bootleg cut of it? Um, like, like, like this is why I mentioned like there are some scenes like I get why they cut like where are your pubes? Oh, I shaved them. Like, yeah, that's just that's just a lame excuse. Like we kind of got from the situation that you know these conversations are already happening. So I mean, yeah, it, like it, the scene in the car is the one I like, where he finds out, you know, I'm too too behind, you know. Right, and I like how he ha- and then basically that's when we actually have because well, it's it's okay, it's okay, mom, I I understand, you know, you jumped me a couple of grades, I'm fine. Yeah, 
And then the sisters like tell him he doesn't need to know. Yeah. He goes, "Well, you're 12." What? And then she's like, "Then I like how the sisters looking at at the mother going, you just robbed him at an adolescent." So basically, what I got from that was the mother is being overly protective and tries to control everything that her kids do to the point where. She doesn't want him to go through the same things that the sister is doing and being an adolescent, talking back to her, going through things that teenagers do. So therefore, she's going to try and stop that and control that. Yeah, she's yeah, she basically wants to mold William into her mold. Well, she's loving while doing it. She just wants basically she wants the ideal son. Exactly. And then you also have that other thing, too, where the sister is more free spirited. She's actually not afraid to tell tell it like it is she's also 60s and 70s right and that's what i like about the sister the sister is complete opposite and she also doesn't bs around she's like you need to stop hiding the truth and start explaining yourself zoe de chanel great in this role this is the first time i uh, this is the first thing i saw her in. right and then also too you also have the strong will that elaine's strict ban on rock music and her fear to uh, pop culture having a lasting effect on her children finally driving William whenever he turns 18 years old. Uh, and, of course, his sister, Anita, winds up moving over to San Francisco to become a flight attendant. Yeah, which we find out at the very end of the movie. Yeah, because we don't, we don't really hear from her at all after she leaves. No, but she did say that she was going to be a stewardess, though. Right, 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 right. She did say, but, I mean, we don't actually see her as that until the very end of the right, movie. Right, that's true. Uh, yeah, and, like, there's one thing we... There's one thing I want to do want to touch on is the moment she leaves, and she leaves mm-hmm. for William, and she leaves behind her music. And that's one of those moments that I res- that resonates with me because I had that moment. Um, For me, though, it was, it was my uncle's uh, tape collection that was at my grandma's that he let me have. That was what it opened my ears to music. And the first song that did that is Wild Child by Wasp. Oh, nice. That was was the first one where I'm like, this is rock music. Let's go. (laughs) I was 13 and I was like walking around with a Walkman and stuff like that. And my, uh, my grade 10 science teacher told me I was born two decades too late. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like what this story is in a sense, because that's also what um, what we wind up with Lester Bing, Bing ones I'm telling him too. Yeah. Well, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But yeah, William's sister leaves him home, leaves home, comes to this. William discovers his love of music through his sister's record collection that she left for him. His sister used music as a way to escape from her mother. And that's what I have in my notes. Yeah. Um, well, William used it for his passion for writing and loving music. So that's the two differences. One is trying to escape from music. The other one is probably doing both. Yeah. Using his, uh, his writing and the music as an escape mechanism to a way out of it. Yeah, yeah, he's basically embracing it and he's looking at it from ways that most people don't. And yeah, I... I, I do like that because like not necessarily with music but with other things in my life i kind of look at things i look at it like that right but you know i remember my uncle paul got get here's the thing i grew up in 19 1950s and 60s music mm, okay. when, when, and then when my uncle paul uh got when my aunt got married to my uncle paul that's when i discovered rock music that's mm-hmm. when i discovered acdc that's when i discovered all the hits that i've grew up with and love so me and with- th- Right. So therefore, I was. This is actually very relatable to me. This is like a love letter to uh, music lovers. Exactly. And then if you actually go and you look at all the songs that are in this movie, um, you you're a hundred percent right. It's a love letter to music lovers, and it doesn't have just the hits. It has some deep cuts, and it has real 
music, music with meaning, which is the best type of music. Definitely. And uh, my favorite one, of course, is Tiny Dancer with Elton John. That's oh, mine too. Every time I hear that song, I cannot help but imagine that scene. It's it's an iconic scene. Right. And That's when I'm listening to the soundtrack... To watch, watch the movie. Right. And you know what, man? Whenever I'm listening to the soundtrack, I feel like my car is being transformed from a 2015 mm-hmm. car into a 1970s car. Yeah, no, and, it's, 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 and, a, it's a great scene, which we'll talk about when we get to it, but yeah, it, right. it's just it's such a great scene for for many many reasons. Definitely, but then we wind up meeting Lester uh, Bang. Lester Bang, real person. Yeah, <laughs> real person. Let's just like let let's, let's clarify. There are actually like people. There are um, real people in this movie. Like right. people, like Rolling Stone are are real are are based on real people. Lester Bangs was a real person, you know. Um, yeah. Which he's actually an editor for Crane Magazine, yeah. and he winds up giving William a shot at writing a story for about Black Sabbath. And he goes, you know what, man? I see that I see your passion. I see that you're digging what you're loving to do. And I also like it whenever we first get our first introduction into uh, into him, though, too, because of the fact that he's on the radio. He's yeah. be, he's giving his whole entire criticism, and he's loud. He's funny. He's giving positive criticism and that's one thing i really loved about it was like how honest this movie is true to the actual people that portray these characters yeah and and you know why that is right because of the fact that the director actually worked for rolling stone exactly this is semi-autobiographical right so this was his world so that's why everything seems so intimate and he gets the real characters why he nails lester bangs and he lesters ben Fong torres and, and, and stuff like that like because this was his life right and you know what though even though this is like 1970s this also can actually generate to us as podcasters or someone that's doing youtube and everything too and is to be honest with you was something that was in 2000s and then you look at it today it it's very transformative whenever you can connect the dots between doing podcasting and doing and Lester being on the air and doing this as yeah, if you're interviewing him. It's a movie that is of its time. Like, I mean, like it's definitely a, a movie that you watch. It's the seventies, but it also, you're right. It connects to multiple generations because everybody goes through something like that at one point or another. Right. And you know, I like the fact that you have this awkwardness between the two of them after they speak Mm-hmm. And even in the bootleg, I thought the bootleg did this very well now, this part, where they're just st- st- standing uh, in front of each other. And we and he goes, okay, well, you can go. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll go. Yeah. And then they're just standing there, and then they go and have coffee. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're definitely two, two pieces of the pod, those two. Like, Lester Bangs is the perfect mentor for someone like William. Right, and including whenever he says, look. Don't be friends with the musicians. They're not your friend. They're going to look at you as the enemy. They're going to try and do all this stuff to you to make it seem like that they're your friends, but they're not your friends. Yeah. And I met you. You're not cool. Which is true. Yeah. Right. Definitely and not. he has this innocence about him. William has like an innocent face to the point where that people can trust him, but at the same time, they're going to still look to him as an enemy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we definitely learned that the hard way. Right. So then, of course, you know, $35 assignment to review Black Sabbath's concert. William is, of course, barred from the backstage until the opening band Stillwater arrives and William flatters his way in. And, of course, he's getting a- this actually hands down one of my favorite things is when the mother is against this rock and roll Thing. Don't do drugs. <laughs> and then here comes the girls. Don't do drugs. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> I, 
Yeah, I got a yeah, I've got a story like that. Because <laughs> it's about drugs, but it involves me being drunk. Right. And the two women walking by. But anyways, that's another story for another time. <laughs> that's probably for a Wayne's World episode. Yeah, but, exactly. anyway, uh, yeah. but you know, I think that this is actually the awkward thing of having your parents drop you off at this rock concert yeah. and then your parents saying something embarrassing about the about something like that, especially an uptight parent. And then she's like, look, if anything happens, use the family whistle. And then she's whistling at him. And then that's when she winds up saying, don't do drugs. And then, of course, you have the repeated line of the girls saying, don't do drugs. Yeah. Then he walks down into that backstage area and the, guy, the bouncer's over there looking at him like, who are you? Yeah. I'm William from uh, Cream Magazine. You're not on the list. You need to go away. And most people would actually like this is his first big break. So he was about to ball. He was actually about to cry because he's like, look, I got my first big gig. $35 to a teenage kid in the 70s. This is like lunch money for him. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, he's not, at this point, he's not that type of character who would not take that for an answer. Because this is actually his future writing. This is actually everything that he's been built up to. And then he might feel at this if he doesn't get access into that area. So he walks away. Then that's when we wind up seeing Penny Lane and the rest of her friends. First time. And the band, yep, the Mm Band-Aids. And she's like, this is Penny Lane. This is yeah. This is the person that told us no. We don't sleep with the musicians. We were a band aid for the musicians. And William even says, "Well, I'm not a groupie." And then that's when the yeah. the whole entire line. <laughs> You're like, oh no, there's a distinction. <laughs> and after that, the girls winds up leaving him because they actually get in. And then after that, you see, I like the little small nuggets where you have supposedly. Black Sabbath shows up, yeah. and you know it's Black Sabbath, but you don't see Ozzy, you don't see any of them, mm-hmm. and they pull up, and they yeah, they open up the garage door, and then after that, Stillwater comes in with the yeah. bus. With Bessie. With Betsy. Yeah, oh yeah, and that's when we meet the band for the first time. Uh, yeah, had I seen Jason Lee by that point? I, yeah. yeah. I think I'd seen Mallrats already by that point. Um, I know I have. <laughs> yeah, and then this was my introduction to Billy Crudup. And yeah, and you believe that these guys are a band like they had they did rock rock boot camp before this to learn how to play the instruments, even though it's not really them uh, and the thing. But um, yeah, no, you definitely felt like this was a band that has been through, you know, they've been together a long time. You you bought it. And Jason Lee as the lead singer. Oh, so charismatic. He's got that that presence that like a Paul Stanley has and uh, Mick Jagger and all those guys. And then you've got Russell from Stillwater. He's you look at him and you're thinking, you think Tommy Iommi, you think Eric Clapton, and you think like the cal- guitar players of that caliber, and you're like, oh, exactly. And you know what? That role was actually supposed to go to Brad Pitt. Yeah, I think I read that. That that I can't picture anyone but Billy Crudup. Same as well. And as a matter of fact, Brad Pitt left because he said that he didn't fit the role. He said that he also didn't feel fit the role for it. Yeah. And you know, that part where, where basically you have one of the people say, man, you're nothing but filled with ego and your good looks. That was written in there just for Brad Pitt. Nice. <laughs> and so they just kept it in there for him, but I think yeah. it fits the bill very nicely anyways. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, then of course we have uh lead guitarist Russell uh, Hammond takes a liking to him and his new acquaintance veteran groupie Penny Lane, who has taken him under her wing. Despite behaving as a stereotypical groupie, Penny Lane insists that she and her friends are band-aids, a term she invented to describe female fans that are that are there more than just 
for music and the rock stars themselves. But the backstage stuff is actually pretty cool. Like, yeah, whenever he's trying inaccurate. to interview them. I said inaccurate. Yeah. Because of the fact that, you know, I like how he's trying to interview Russell and then still trying to get on for the show. Like, there's no time to interview somebody during that process. And he's still trying to get that interview. I like how he goes up to the lead singer and he's like, yeah, the chicks are great. They're, and, uh, you know, that's always good. And it's the music. It's that drive. It's about that buzz. And it feels like, and the way the camera angle actually is, it feels like a VH1 behind the music. Kind of, yeah, I was going to say, it kind of felt like a little documentary-like, yeah. Because those yeah. are answers that are just, those are basically like textbook answers. Exactly, because, okay, don't get me wrong, when we first see the camera angles and the way it's actually going, it looks like an actual studio-based mm-hmm. camera. Yeah. Then when you get into the whole entire act of him trying to interview, the camera takes a, the movie takes a slight tone and change to where it feels like it's a VH1 behind the music. Yeah, because now we're about to go, we're, we're entering the process, we're about to go on stage. Right. But what did you think about the whole interview process and then, of course, saying, oh, the chicks are great in the pe- and talking about the, uh, it's just a typical thing that that character would say. And it, I, I'll let picture, yeah. That, that's my first impression. Like, it's a great introduction to those characters because you know that's what those characters were like at the time, if you if you know your history. Um, so, yeah, no, it was, like, it's a great, great, great introduction. Not surprised that that's the answer they gave because they don't know the kid yet. Like, they, they don't have reason to open up to him and give him the real answers. He's just, like you said, the enemy. Exactly. And then also, too, after the concert, the interview, now, get this, okay, he had a great time at the concert, right? So I actually had this in my notes, after the concert and the interview, this could have been William's story. This could have been the thing that wrapped everything up yeah. and sent him on his way. He got his story that he needed to Whit Cream Magazine. So, so anyways, it would have just ended on that one night of success that he got the story. But it expands with Russell inviting William to Fever Dog's next show, but also inviting Penny Lane, which makes me think Russell is using William to get to Penny without William no Penny Lane because of the fact that Pen- uh, William introduced the two of them together. Yeah, but they, he already had a history, so they okay. were they already had a history, so they were she yes, yeah, so that was already there. Okay, because that was okay. That was just playing off the narrative, basically. It's how the lenses behind William on how he's looking at it. Yeah. And that's how I was perceiving it because of the way William's looking at it. Because I was thinking, okay, this is their first introduction. So therefore, yeah. You know, if you actually look at them, you can tell that they're playing coy about it. This is like they're pretending mm-hmm. it's the first time they've met. And that's all this is, though, if you think about it, because even they said um that they're just pretending everybody's pretending to do something in this movie yeah yeah exactly because this is just a fantasy this is just this is just this is like a dream exactly and that's all russell's taking it as is this is just a fantasy he's giving this girl what she wants and she's and she's going all out she's falling for the guy Mm-hmm. And thinking that this is actually legit, and she's like, he's like, look, this is not legit. This is not basically yeah, a girlfriend or, or fiance or something like that already. Yeah, right. It's, and girls come and go because of bands being on the road all the time and things like that. But anyways, uh, then of course he winds up telling her it ain't California without her. We want her around like last summer, and that's whenever it gives you the key idea that she's been around with them. Exactly. Even though it's used as a pickup line, but you know. Some it's people code. can look at yeah. It's code. It's definitely code. But William is not is going is going over William's head. Well, yeah, he he's naive. Like because right. as we already established, he's sheltered. <laughs> 
Right. And uh, so anyways, uh, being while Stillwater is being fake, the band has to... Okay, so that's a little bit later that I'm getting to. I'm going a little bit ahead of my notes. Uh, so after that winds up happening, Rolling Stone editor Ben Frog Torres hires William to write... Torres, not Ben Frog Torres. <laughs> <laughs> ben, if you're watching this... Probably... <laughs> Fong, sorry, Ben Fong. <laughs> My apologies, <laughs> sir. <laughs> if you ever want to do a piece on me, just know that I apologize. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Rolling Stone editor Ben Fong Torres hires William to writ- to write an article about Stillwater based on his skills and sends him on the road with the band. William, William interviews the other band members, but Russell repeatedly puts him off. And you can tell that he's just shining him away. It's like, yeah, we'll talk about it later, kid. Yeah. Hey, look. Yeah, I don't I don't want to uh, gaslighting is not the word, but yeah, he's basically like, yeah, pushing him to the side. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, just have fun, man. Yeah, you're here on up with us now. You're here on the bus. You and basically he's thinking that this is what William wants. Yeah. He just wants a bus ride with the band mm-hmm. and not wanting an interview. He just thinks that he's basically like another groupie by the journalist, in a sense. Yeah, because yeah, literally, the enemy. Right, so therefore they're going to give him limited amount of information anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said earlier, they have no reason to open up to him at this point. No, they don't They don't know him from a, from a stick in the mud or anything. Yeah. So then after that, tensions between Russell and lead singer Jeff Babe soon become <laughs> evident and not he- helped at all at the band's first t-shirt. A full band shot that pictures Russell in full view while the rest of the band is in shadows. Yeah, yeah. Is this is this what then leads to him leaving? Yeah, this is actually what because remember Russell says, okay, let, let's, let's bring out the t-shirt again. Let's see the t-shirt. Mm. Because remember, the manager said, okay, no problem, no t-shirts, Happy band goes on ahead, picks up the box, and moves out. Yeah. Then you have Russell because he has one T-shirt left over. puts it on the chair as if it's on on jury, like on on a court stand. Yeah. He goes, okay, let's. Yeah. He's like, let's look at it. What do you see? He goes, man, it's always been about you. You have such an ego about you. Mm-hmm. That's all you care about is yourself. And then Russell just, yeah, <laughs> it's a metaphor. And Russell's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm I'm quitting and he walks out. And so at that point, everybody else has walked off as well. And then William comes back and gets the t-shirt as a collector item. I would have done it too. I'm like, okay, well, this might be a limited release. No, this might not even see the light of day because the band is having issues. And this could be like the last thing that I'll get because they're on the verge of breaking up at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. That that's pretty much yeah, that's something that's that's a thread throughout the whole movie too. It's just like these guys are there's definitely a threat of a breakup. And what do you think that there was like an ego about Russell in the band? Because I didn't really see that in Russell, other than uh him trying to delay the interview and things like that, but I didn't see him None of when it comes to that because I don't think because like you said earlier, we're seeing this movie through William's eyes. So I think like that's probably stuff that's happened off camera. That we mm-hmm. like, there might okay. there might be some, probably not as not as harsh as what they're saying, but pro- probably there is some merit to that. Okay, yeah, because that's a, that was something I was wondering about. I'm like, I don't see that, but I see that in him. I see that in the other character oh, that's complaining. Yeah, um, there there might be in there somewhere, but we probably just don't see it. It's probably all off camera stuff. That's what I wanted to ask you about because I was just kind of curious about that. 
Mm. Uh, but yeah, yeah William is remember, like we 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 we're, we meet the band when they the stuff's already been happening, right? Right, exactly. Oh, Russell could be just putting up a front, you know, putting up a front at first for the for the kid. But I mean, like this stuff's already happened, right? This is a history that this band's been through for exactly. God knows how long. Yeah, we don't need to see it. And then at that time, they wind up he winds up leaving, and I think that's whenever they go to that party. Mm, I am because, a god. Yep, which is also something that led some well, someone from Zeppelin said. Yeah, Robert Plant, I believe it was. But you know, I like how he says it. He goes, "I want to be with people that are real. I want to yeah. be with you. I want to be with other people." Because the band is great, but it's not real people. Mm-hmm. He wants to have real conversations. He want to. Ha- he wants to have like a real friendship with people. It's true, the band had at the beginning, right? And that's what I like about it. It points out the obvious mm-hmm. with relationships and friendships within the band. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. getting into it for what it's all about—the music. Yeah, which is what it. it which is you know. It should be. Definitely. You guys are lucky to be doing what you love. You know, it should be about the music. And then, of course, you wind up having this party that's going on. And then, I'm on drugs! (laughs) (laughs) This is actually my favorite part, though, man. Like, okay, William gets in there. He's definitely outside of his element. He's awkward. He knows he doesn't belong there. He's babysitting uh, this guy that's pissed off. And the next thing you know, it he does acid with the people, with the kids, mm-hmm. and he calls out the manager. He goes, "Just make sure that he doesn't do anything stupid when it kicks in." How do I know it's when it kicks in? And then he's on the top of the roof. Yeah, I am a golden god. <laughs> hey, get down here! Do not jump into the swimming pool. Then all the kids are like, "Jump in the swimming pool! Get down!" Okay, and then he winds up jumping and does a cannonball into the into the swimming pool, which is like so rock and roll for that time. Totally, you hear stories about that all the time. Yeah, he jumps in, and then oh, then when he comes down, he gets mad at William, and you're the enemy. And then after that happens, uh, that's when the rest of the band comes. But comes and gets him the next day, basically. Yeah, in the morning, pretty much. <laughs> the, yeah, the morning, and they pick him up. And this and, is where yeah. we get Tiny Dancer. Yep, we get the Tiny Dancer song. We also have another thing with these high school girls uh, yeah. jogging and yeah. Penny Lane flipping them off. Yeah, flipping them off, and then one of the other guys I think was checking them out. Yeah, but that song, that that yeah. Tiny Dancer song, is so iconic. And this is why one of the reasons why I love the scenes because it's it's coming off a night where um where the band is at a at a weak spot. You know, they just had a big blow up, and Russell went off the all his drugs, whatever. So when he gets back on the bus, they're in. You know, you know that's you've had, you've been in those kind of moments where you've had an argument with someone, and then the awkwardness. You don't know right. what to say, and Tiny Dancer is the icebreaker, and and then all of a sudden you get the moment where everybody gets in, and you, see, you remember why we're here, you remember why we're with each other, and it was like, okay, we're cool for now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a beautiful scene, such a beautiful scene. It goes to show you what music can do to bring people together, exactly. and because of that song, it ended up making the band stay together. For yeah, so was, that was something it, I really liked. Yeah. No, it's it's that yeah. The, the Russell Crowe, Russell Crowe, Cameron Crowe knows he's one of those records that he knows how to use music in movies because there's not a song in this movie that feels out of place. Exactly. Even in the bootleg. I definitely enjoy this. This is like hands down one of my favorite movies of all time. 
when it yeah. comes down to music. Um, but yeah, then the record label hires Den as a professional manager to handle problems with venues and promoters. Um, plays by Jimmy Fallon. And I didn't realize I was Jimmy until like recently. I'm like, wait, is that Jimmy? Yeah, I didn't like same thing, but me wasn't until recently. It was till about it was oh forget it. I I've been ten years after I'd seen that movie. So yeah. It was just like holy shit. Because <laughs> that what, was that would that have been before or during SNL? I think it might have been before SNL. Huh. If I'm not mistaken. But you know, I like how he breaks it down. He's like, look, we could have sued the venue because there was a, there was a scene where uh, Russell touches the mic and he gets electrocuted, and then they wanna wind up running the bus into a gate. Yeah. Oh, and you played the manager? Who? The the manager of the, the Mark Marin. Really? That's Mark Marin. I didn't know that all this time. I had no idea. That, that, that was more. That was one of the things I found in more recent. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, he's breaking it down to him. It's like, look, we could have sued the venue. We could have gotten the money back off of the whole entire thing. And then also, too, do you know how to do touring? Do you know how to do a headline? Do you know how to do all this? Well, I can do that. And we can also book more gigs if you get rid of the bus and if we fly. Mm-hmm. So and they're hesitant yeah. because that's, they've always had that bus. That's Bessie. And they even said it. We have a history with that bus. We've done everything together in that bus to where it's home for them. And for them to leave home, their home, it's outside their element, outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, and then as we, for uh, you know, future spoilers, definitely outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, and uh, we're going to get to that in a little bit. Matter of fact, uh, this is also, too, where they wind up going over to New York. Mm-hmm. Because Penny has to leave before the band reaches New York. Yeah. And this is, yeah. This, this, is, this is where the movie takes a turn. Like, we've had the fun, now this is where it gets serious. Yeah, this is where realism takes place, where it's a reality breaker. And the reality breaker is this, okay? So, the band has to drop the Band-Aids before going to New York. So, basically, what happens is, the uh, to humble pie. So, one, so basically, Stillwater gives... folks a real band. Yeah, so... What it winds up happening is this. He gives the Band-Aids uh, over to Humble Pie for $150 in a case of Heineken beer. And I'm like, could they just give them better beer? Uh, now, correct me if I'm wrong. The guy who plays the manager for Humble Pie, that's Peter Frampton, right? Because Peter Frampton plays one of the managers in here. And if I'm not mistaken, he plays the manager for the band he was in. I think it was Humble Pie. Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that that's, he also was the um, the uh, the music advisor on this when it comes to stage show. So he was already employed at that. But yeah, I, I love that fact that they hired him. They also had him play the manager of the band he was in. That's what I like about this is like how much of a reality it actually is when it comes down to the whole entire deal where, you know, it's like, now, okay, well, you had your time. Now it's time for us to be with our wives and our girlfriends yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 when it's William seeing the harsh reality of what it's like being on the road. Now we've seen the fun. William has already uh, if, has he already lost his virginity by this point? Yeah, he loses his yeah. virginity at this point because remember yeah. uh, the band aids were all bored and it's like okay, it's time to get rid of Opie. Meaning it's now time to turn him into a man. Gotta yeah, that when I was growing up, would I have loved to have been him at that moment? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like what a way to go. Through <laughs> the bolt, Emma Pack, and a pack one. Don't remember who the other one was. Then there's also that other part, though, too, where after that, he has sex with uh, them. The girl winds up answering the phone, and it's actually the Rolling Stone editor checking to see what's going on. And she answers the phone. Then the girl the girl next to her goes, 
I'm hungry. I could go for some pancakes. I'm just using an example, but yeah. yeah. Uh, and he's like, get it together, man. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah. Oh God, yeah, that's that's what life was like on the road in the seventies. You listen to all the stories of these old rock guys. This was what it was like. And he's like, "So what is it about?" He goes, "Well, it's a thin piece of being on the road, and you know." And he goes, "Okay, man, I'm digging that. I'm digging that because of the fact that William winded up talking over to um, over to Les, you know, to Mister Bang about it." Yeah, I was getting his advice. That's why that's why Lester is a great mentor. He's pretty much right. Up- night and there to answer the phone so i like that and then you know this is also where it starts getting interesting so the record label hires okay so going into my notes penny and her three prodigies band-aids are gambled away to another band in a poker game penny x uh not uh, basically she feels okay about it but is also devastated at the same time well, Meanwhile, I don't think yeah. she feels okay about it i think she she knows the score she's just putting on a brave face for william she knows. She knows what it's like. Right. This was coming. But at the same time, though, you can definitely tell she's hurt and devastated oh, over it. From what she does next and, and what have you. Oh, she's crushed because, as you said earlier, she's done the one thing you shouldn't do. and She's fallen in love with Russell Hammond. Right. And Dennis uh, charters a small plane so the band can play more gigs. And yep. this is now. This is where the plane ride has the turbulence. This, this is this is this is the moment where everything comes out. All the cards are on the table. Yeah, because rem- because also too. Remember, this is also before that. We have another scene where the wife has a confrontation about who's Penny Lane. Who's this girl that's looking yeah. at my boyfriend and? Why is she staring at him? And then that's when basically you have the old manager trying to tell her to move on and get out of the way. You know, this is after they find out. Yeah, this is when they find out that they're going to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone. And, they, and then, yeah, and then after this is when we have Russell, when we have uh, William go find her. And uh, she has tried to OD on Quaaludes. Right. And then, and then so he obviously, he tells her how, you, you know, she's so loopy and probably not going to remember any of this, but he tells her how he really feels and all that stuff. And no, it's... It, it, and it, this is actually the first time I ever saw what it was like to see someone get their stomach popped. Same. I've, yeah. I've heard stories, but to see it, yeah, it was completely. Little, yeah. Um, and then the, then they go for the walk afterwards and, you know, they, they talk like friends or what have you. And she tells them her, tell them her real name. And um, he, if I'm not mistaken, this is where he tells her that she, what she was treated for. And then right. she's like, um, yeah, this is, this is a great scene. Like you could tell they've gone close. There's a bond here. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's, 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 it's great stuff. Great stuff. Definitely. And then there's also that other two scene too, where in the airport, Williams fall in the airplane. And so, because yeah. he doesn't want her to leave, but yeah. he knows he has to say bye because he also has to get back over. Yeah the guys yeah and then this is when we get into the plane ride from hell and then this is where we find out that uh uh who was it was it jeff that slept with uh russell's fiance yeah uh, we find out that the new manager uh did a hit and run and left did we find out what the other, uh, anything on the other manager nothing on the other manager i don't think yeah. i can't remember i don't have that in my notes and then my favorite one, be oh, oh, uh, William, you know, he goes off on everyone, uh, you know, saying like, I love her. You treated her like shit. And then my favorite one, the drummer who we never hear from, he goes, I'm gay. <laughs> and, and I like how they're like, like <laughs> but you know what's funny about the drummer, though? You don't see him at all through this whole entire thing. 
then all of a sudden he's on the plane because he's just hitting his drums and right. He's is with his playing with his sticks and I mean like he's there but he's not the focal point. But right. You know what that reminds me of though? Like in school, like you would say something about sex and then like the whole entire class just gets yeah. quiet. Yeah, and no, then all of a sudden Yeah. <laughs> any anything inappropriate or make you look like an idiot. Oh yeah. 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 That's what it felt like to me, is like I'm gay. And then all of a sudden yeah. the plane stops having turbulence. And it sits there. Huh. <laughs> yeah. And then the band member's like, What do what do we do? <laughs> yeah, and then they so, ground and they look like they've literally been through hell and yeah after that William arrives at Rolling Stone office in San Francisco but has difficulty finishing the article mm-hmm. and they don't like the fact that it looks like a fluff piece because his notes are all over the place he has sticky notes all over the place yeah. and the girl's like what the hell is this this is going to take me at least a week to process mm-hmm. and he's like look man give me a chance I can write this if you give me a chance to do this. And then he has to realize and come to the realization of the fact that he has to be 100% honest or else he's going to lose his job and it's going to make him look bad. And just like how Lester says, you have to be that kind of person. Otherwise, you're just another fan or another groupie that's within this thing. And you can't do that. You can't be one foot in and one foot out. You have to be either you're in or you're out. Mm -hmm. Which is complete bullshit, but you know. (laughs) Uh, then I like how he goes in and tells the story of the plane ride. Yeah, yeah. He he lays everything out like an eyewitness kind of everything that happened on this tour, and then they deny everything. And that's that's the really messed up thing. Like before that, before he even arrives over there, Russell just says write whatever you want, and he writes whatever he wants. And then because Jeff has a problem with it, yeah, the enemy. That because the big issue is Jeff's ego. Yeah. And it gets into Russell's head because nobody else has a problem with it other than Jeff. Mm-hmm. And then it, once it's a Jeff problem, then it, beco- then it becomes a band problem. Yeah. And then they deny everything, completely wrecks the kid. And then this is when he's at the airport getting, getting ready to leave, right? Right. And so this is where we wind up saying this. Well, you know, Russell denied everything because he's like, well, put Russell on the phone. He'll back me up on it 110%. Yeah. And the, he's the one who denied it. So then after that yeah. happens, he leaves. Yeah, it was like a stab in the stab in the gut. And then this is also too where we actually have this great thing that happens with Lester and him uh talking on the phone while, before he was writing the article too, but still I like that whole entire setup. Yeah, basically the final lesson. And then after that, he says he's perceived friendships with them are not uh real and advises him to be honest and un- uh, unmerciful. Rolling Stones editor Rave over Williams. Okay, we are uh, we already got that. That's what I was talking about. Um, and then of course Anita, he winds up going over to the airport, like you mentioned. Or right, yeah, he's he's got to go home now, and he he looks like literally he's been through hell. He looks like he hasn't slept in a week. He's so disheveled, probably hungry. And who happens to walk by but his sister? Right when he's this one the most. And my favorite thing she says to him, "Look, I'll take you anywhere you want to go." So. And i get it (laughs) and she take he takes he makes her go over to the house that she does not even want to be put in and the mother answers the door and she gives her a hug and they're both embracing each other and laughing yeah basically it was awkward at first and then it's like it's like oh they missed each other you know it right just because you're gone from your family and you had your problems and differences yeah that's blood you're not gonna get rid of that. that and so then william winds up crashing and then 
we wind up uh basically we wind up seeing Russell goes over to uh Williams's house thinking it's Penny Lane's house. Right. But here's how we got here. Got there is we get another scene backstage and he runs into Feruza Bulk, who had already by this point left, and uh he tells her everything. She tells him everything and it makes him realize that he what he did to William was not right. And that's uh yeah, and then that's how he got the address wrong. I love the whole entire thing because he's actually thrown off with it. Yeah. Russell is. And he sees uh Williams' sister, and then yeah. he sees the mother, and and I like how oh. he looks at Elaine. Yeah, and then he clues in, he's like, oh shit. Hi. <laughs> how you doing? Nice hair. Yeah. Um, and uh, and my favorite thing that she Elaine says to him, he goes, I knew we connected when we talked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> his eyes got big like deer in headlights yeah. at that point. Because yes. this guy, but hands down though, this guy made him miss his graduation. He made him go through all this hell and all this turmoil. Exactly. He deserved everything he got in that one part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He had, he did not deserve to get backstabbed like that. No. So he goes upstairs. He sees William. William is still hurt by what happened, and Russell's trying to apologize to him. And William forgets about just forgives him and is like, "Well, let's do the interview." Yeah, it's right because he never had gotten the interview yet. No, what so he didn't get. Yeah, and then uh, what was it he? He said, so how did William start? It's like, well, from the beginning, what was it he yeah. said? Yeah. He said, from the beginning, it was about the music. Yeah. Yeah. And then we then we see Russell leave, I'm assuming to go see Penny. Right. The rest is history. Right. Russell was verified that the article of the Rolling Stone, which runs its cover feature, Penny fulfills her long-standing fantasy to go to Morocco and Stillwater tours again by bus. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we see the newspaper article in the credits and yeah, it's in the movie. This I'm glad that we did this review because this is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time is talk about this movie. This is and movies where if somebody wants to talk about it, I will. Um, and like just talking about it makes me want to go rewatch it because I wanted to watch it. I actually had time to rewatch it before we did the show. So fortunately, my mom was over, so I couldn't make me want to go back and watch it. But still, I can't say great show, uh, great movie. I can't wait to actually watch the whole bootleg cut because there is some stuff in the bootleg cut that I feel like, you know, that we could go over later on in the future. It's like a bonus. More music to the bootleg cut. And what's pretty cool is like Led Zeppelin's got songs in here and that they're at the time, I don't know if this is still the case, but they were notorious for never letting their music get out there and be licensed. Right, because even it was even hard for them to do Cashmere. Remember, yeah. they wouldn't they wouldn't release that song. They also their um, way for Wayne's World. Like yeah. whenever they would, uh, I think it's in most copies of the film after DVD or whatever. It's a generic song when he's in the guitar shop instead of being Stairway because of that. right. But yeah, I'm glad that we got a chance to do this, man. I hope that um, you come back on here again to review some more stuff with me. Well, yeah, like, well, obviously, I pay attention to where you throw it for the, for the information out there. And if it's a movie that I love, like, you know, if you ever did, like, A League of Their Own or Tommy Boy or, or, or like, Sing Street or something like that, I will gladly be there because I, those are movies I genuinely love. Is there anything going on as far as your channels go or anything like that? Um, Just, you know, follow me over in the Northern Entertainment Group where I do fun with flags with our friend 50. And uh, I do occasionally do, I think, usually two to three episodes a month for his The Greatest Show in the Galaxy, which is his Star Wars, uh, Star Wars, his Doctor Who show over on the Northern Entertainment Group. Coming up, I believe it's next month, we, Dagan, uh, my buddy Dagan and I will be 
uh, launching a new wrestling channel. Just keep an eye out for on our social medias for that. Um, and yeah, you can follow me over at uh, Twitter and Instagram at soda underscore the underscore Saxman. I'm, I do have an Instagram account, but uh, I, I, I'm more of a lurker. And I- okay. With that being said, guys, that's going to be it as far as the show goes. I hope that everybody enjoys the show. And always until next time, guys. Bye-bye.